You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. The reading today is from Revelation 4, verses 1 to 11. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These were the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sit on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. I used to regularly drive past a bike shop which had an advertising slogan in huge letters on the top of the shop. Worship the journey. Now the religious language of that sign always struck me. It wasn't experience the journey, enjoy the journey, or even celebrate the journey, but worship the journey. Now I'm not a bike rider, I own a bike, and I don't mind riding a bike to get from A to B, but I wouldn't really choose to ride for pleasure, though I know many of you do. But that sign is a step beyond that, that this leisure activity is a religious activity, where we derive meaning and purpose. It's an act of worship. We see this sort of religious language spill out in other leisure pursuits as well. People regularly refer to the MCG as a cathedral where they go to worship. 
And what's the latest public holiday that has been added to our calendars? A holiday, by the way, is literally a holy day. That's what the word originally meant. It's a day set aside as holy within the community for worship and invested with religious meaning and purpose. Our latest public holy day is Grand Final Eve, a day set aside to attend a religious procession and to worship the gods of football. Now, my point is not to waggle a finger at our naughty society. It's an observation about the way that religious language, including the language of worship, rises to the surface in our society to give expression to the things that we value, the things that we find meaning, purpose, and joy in. See, human beings are worshipping beings. We're made for meaning, purpose, and joy. We're made to give ourselves to something higher than ourselves. And so in a secular society, which increasingly pushes God aside and out of the picture, we simply transfer our worship to new and different things. And this is not a new feature of society either. It's something that humans throughout history have done. We're made to worship, and so we'll always find things to worship. The question is, are they the right things? Revelation 4 focuses our minds on this question of worship and what, or rather, who we should worship. Uh, So grab a Bible and turn to Revelation 4 with me. Revelation 4.1 starts. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. The words, after this I looked, Mark this out as a new section in the book of Revelation. We're transitioning from the letters to the churches, which we've looked at over the past weeks, and now we're getting a new vision, a vision that looks into heaven itself. There's an open door so that we can see into heaven, the place where God lives. Now, when you think about heaven, do you think of it as being far away or near? We often think of it as on the other side of the universe or something like that. But here we've got an open door that you can step through. It's like walking through a wardrobe into Narnia or pulling apart the seams of reality in the room and stepping into another dimension that's present right here. Or to return to the image that I used in the first week of this series, It's like a curtain being drawn back so that we can see what is right there on stage to see the reality that is playing out before us. And what is that reality? Verse 2. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The first thing that John sees in heaven is a throne. The word throne is actually a key word in this chapter. It's there 10 times. At the heart of heaven, at the heart of reality, we need to know that someone is in charge because this throne is not empty. It's emphasised that there's someone sitting on the throne of heaven. Now, if you are part of a persecuted church in Asia, you need to know that, right? You need to know that 
God is sitting on the throne and in charge because it doesn't feel like that's true. If you're being persecuted and your family is being tortured and killed, you might well doubt that God is present, that he's aware and that he's powerful. But no, there is someone in charge. There is someone seated on this throne. And maybe you doubt that reality in your own life now too. Uh, Life is really tough and things seem to be going wrong. Relationship breakdown, physical or mental health challenges, financial pressures, social exclusion or bullying at school or at work. When things are difficult, we can doubt that there is anyone on the throne anyone who cares about the realities of our circumstances, anyone who's powerful to be able to help us in our time of need. But again, this throne is occupied. There is someone sitting on it and he's magnificent. Verse three, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. He's radiant with the glow of multicolored gemstones. He's surrounded by a rainbow, which would call to mind God's promises to Noah after the flood and emphasize the faithfulness of God in keeping his word. He's accompanied by flashes of lightning and crashes of thunder. It's an awesome picture of the power, the goodness, and the beauty of God. But God is not alone on the throne in heaven. In verse 4, we see that surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, numbers are important in the book of Revelation, but they can take a little bit of unpacking. Why are there 24 elders. Most likely this represents the entirety of God's people. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were made up of 12 tribes. And when Jesus comes to establish a new people of God through faith in him, he appoints 12 disciples. It's a reforming of the people of God in himself. And so these 24 elders, two lots of 12, represents the entirety of God's saved people. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then this represents you. These elders are dressed in white because their sins have been washed clean and they stand there in the presence of God in perfect purity. These elders have crowns on their heads and they've got thrones to sit on. In the letters to the churches, Jesus has promised to give his faithful followers a victor's crown, and he's promised to give them the right to sit with him on his throne. So these are symbols of victory and a sharing in God's heavenly reign. But there are also others in this heavenly court, verse 6. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. 
The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Now, these living creatures resemble those from the heavenly scene in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Uh, The eyes covering them, which is a strange image, suggests that they are all-seeing. And they seem to represent the whole of creation. There's an ancient Jewish saying, the mightiest among the birds is the eagle. The mightiest among the domestic animals is the bull. The mightiest among the wild beasts is the lion, and the mightiest among all is man. And so they probably represent the leaders of the birds, the domestic animals, the wild animals, and humankind. And what's the whole of creation represented by these four living creatures doing? Well, they're worshipping, verse 8. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There's a constant worship of God, their creator. Do you notice that it's it's day and night and they never stop saying it? Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God The sky proclaims his works. They don't use words or make sounds, and yet their voice goes to the ends of the world. There's this sense that the creation constantly testifies to the power, glory, and goodness of God. When you see a stunning sunset, when you stand at a lookout and see the unfolding vista of a valley opening before you, when you examine the intricate beauty of a wildflower, you see a reflection of the power, glory, and goodness of God. Each part of creation expresses this truth about God in its own way, in ways that are appropriate to how it has been made. But the cumulative effect is to declare that God is holy, holy, holy. That is exponentially and infinitely holy. God is almighty. He's powerful in all that he does. God is the one who was and is and is to come. From eternity past to eternity future, he is God. And he's God right here and right now and worthy of worship. The creation knows this and is screaming out God's praises day and night, if only we have the eyes to see it, and it requires us to respond. Because what do the elders do when they hear creation worshipping God? Verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour, and praise to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. The elders join in with the worship. They fall face down before God. They worship him and they take the crowns off their heads and lay them down at God's feet. 
The English word worship is literally the word worth-ship. It's about declaring something or someone's worth. They are worth it. They are worthy of my worship. And that's precisely what the elders say here in verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy to receive glory, honour and praise. Why? Why is God worthy of our worship? For one fundamental reason, because he made us. As our creator, he deserves our worship. We must join in with the rest of creation in worshipping God because he made us, he sustains us, and in the creation, he gives us every good thing to enjoy. Human beings are worshipping beings because we've been made by God. It's built into our nature. And it only has one right and valid expression to turn our worship towards God, our maker. Throughout the universe, throughout the whole of existence, there are only two types of things. There's God, and then there are the things that God has made. And friends, we fit into that second category. That distinction, those two categories, God and things made by God is the most fundamental distinction that exists. And the things that God has made, including us, owe our worship to God, the maker. As Del reminded us last week, we can only sit on a seat because God made it and sustains the strong nuclear force which holds the atoms of the seat together. We can only breathe because God created oxygen and ensures that the content of our air remains at a level that sustains human life. We're made for worship. We're made to invest meaning and purpose in something bigger than ourselves. We're designed to find joy and fulfilment in something greater than ourselves. We're created to give ourselves fully and completely to one who is above and beyond us. Uh, Worshipping the journey doesn't do that. Worshipping at the MCG Cathedral doesn't do that. We find enjoyment in those things because they're part of God's good creation. But if you try to invest your meaning and purpose in those things, they will ultimately let you down because they too are part of the creation like us and not the creator himself. God alone is worthy of our worship because he created all things and by his will they existed and were created. So what does it look like to worship God? Sometimes we think of worship as meaning uh, our gathered times on a Sunday, especially our sung worship together. And there's good reason to think this. The living creatures and the elders are saying together or possibly even singing words of praise and worship to God. 
They join their voices together to worship God. And we must do that. So as we sing together in church or pray together, uh, or if you're doing that online, joining with others in different places, we're expressing together to God that he is worthy. It's an opportunity to give ourselves to God in worship. Do you notice that the elders fall down before him? It's a full body experience and show it, so it should be. And our joyful praise to God as we realize how awesome he is and express that, why wouldn't we use our bodies uh, to lift our hands in praise or even fall down? He is worthy of our praise. And so we should encourage, we should be encouraged to worship God with other people and gather together to do it, to see it as a priority and to give ourselves to him in heart and mind and body. But worship goes beyond our Sunday gatherings. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we read, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Worshipping God means giving our whole selves to him, to be living sacrifices for him, giving him our days at school and at work, giving him our gifts, talents and energy in his service, giving him our material goods for his mission. He's the maker, so they come from him anyway. Giving him our time and focused attention to build a relationship with him. We're worshipping beings and all of life is a chance for worship and service of God. It's no accident that the elders cast their crowns at God's feet. It's an expression that God is God and we are not. It's a submitting of every aspect of life to the kingship of God and allowing our lives to be used in his service. At the end of our church services, we'll often pray this prayer. Father, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. We worship together as we gather together and we go out to worship as living sacrifices to God's praise and glory. You might like to use that prayer or one like it as you start each day as a way of focusing yourself in worship to God and as an antidote to getting caught up in the worship of lesser things. God is worthy of our worship. He's the only one who is. He made us. He loves us. Worshipping him is the most natural, normal and life-giving thing that we can do. In doing this, we join in with the rest of creation in giving praise, honour and thanks to God our Maker. 
Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.